0: Yeah. I'm so excited to have Stephanie Remsen here today. Can you tell the audience a little bit about where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis?
1: Sure. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Stephanie Remsen. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, where it's very hot. I am a family nurse practitioner, and I'm also the CEO and founder of rheumatoidarthritiscoach.com. I'm also an RA patient.
0: So, um, yeah, I you and I are both kind of, you know, connected by the fact that we have this patient experience living with rheumatoid arthritis and we also um, you know, have some healthcare training and we're licensed health providers that, you know, understand maybe a little bit more than the average person what this disease is for better or for worse, right? It's like um knowledge is power but ignorance is bliss sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a whole other topic, but today I'm really excited to talk with you about how to love your body while living with rheumatoid arthritis and how to, you know, cope and, and maybe, you know, reframe some of the ways that our body image can be negatively affected by having a chronic illness. And I know you've, you know, done some, some research on it. What are some of the ways you found um, that chronic illness can, you know, negatively affect people's body image?
1: Yeah. So Before I start on that, like you said, we have a lot of healthcare experience. I have 17 in total, and I have to tell you, I don't have any better body image than somebody with no medical experience at all. I still struggle, and it's honestly probably been one of my biggest struggles since diagnosis and before, so I don't think, although being a medical provider does give me an advantage on a lot of things with rheumatoid arthritis, I don't think body image has, I don't think it's done me any good at all. <laughs> so, That's a really so
0: interesting I'm- point. Yeah. The knowledge gains in one area don't always transfer yeah. to other areas. And we all have things that we struggle with in our mental health, you know, whether it's body image or whether it's like, in my case, it's a more anxiety about the future. I get in these thought loops about what, about, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if I get COVID? What if I'm intubated in the ICU? What if, you know, but so, so yeah. And, and my training doesn't, my training helps me and have mental health coping tools, but yeah, you certainly we can sometimes get in like the grass is greener mindset, that like, if I knew everything, Stephanie knew I would have no problems, you know, but we all have problems. Totally. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So what, what are like, you know, when the, some of the ways that, yeah, having, having chronic illness and even rheumatoid arthritis specifically, um, in your experience has, has affected, you know, one's body image.
1: So as you know, rheumatoid arthritis is an invisible illness or an invisible disability. And even when we do have a visible symptom, right, like a swollen joint or something that hurts more because it's flaring, it's not always visible to the public. So I think that rheumatoid arthritis is especially significant for body image because the world can't see it, right? But we can. So it affects how we feel about ourselves from the inside out. And even though we can't, the public can't see it, sometimes we can feel like everybody can see it, right? Sometimes you can feel like everybody's judging you based on what you can and can't do. Um, So I think that that makes it a lot more complicated than say, you know, a classic illness that causes somebody to not be able to use a knee and have to use a wheelchair, cane walker all the time or other things that are always visible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think the, the exception is maybe the more severe deformities, which I do want to touch on because what I've heard from a lot of newly diagnosed patients is that they Google rheumatoid arthritis and then they freak out for numerous reasons. But when they look at the images, they, they get scared because they think, well, how am I going to function in life? If my um, knuckles are so swollen and my fingers are pointing in different directions than, than I think they should. And also are people going to judge me? Um, and are people going to think I'm like a quote unquote, like a freak because my hands are so, you know, different than everyone else's. So yeah, you're right. It's like, depending on your severity of your illness, how long you've had it, it's certainly f- for many that are, Many, it's it's invisible, um, and then for some it, it's not. And there's kind of like privileges and downsides to both of those, right? Like I know people with right. visible disability who are in a wheelchair. Sometimes there's total like um, there's a lot of um, you know negatives that can come with that, like people thinking that you're not, you know, people kind of patronizing you or like touching you and thinking that you need help when you don't, you know? So anyway, there's all sorts. Yeah. But, but you're right that it's almost, it's like, um, it's a mixture for most people of there's the invisible symptoms, like the fatigue, like the mental Mm -hmm. overwhelm. And then there's the, the, um, the visible ones that might be just like redness or swelling. So yeah, it's, it's hard to adjust to that. Um,
1: and and as Females, I I think we already, all women can say that they struggle a little with their body image. There's so much pressure. And even, you know, Cheryl, as you and I grew up, you know, we had magazines, right? We all read magazines and saw models. And now today there's social media with filters absolutely everywhere. Everything is airbrushed, filtered, edited, right? Everything is edited. You can retake photos a hundred times now where when we were little, right, you got that one picture that cost hundreds of dollars and that was it. So things are a lot different now. I think women in general, you know, we have a lot of weight on us about body image and then rheumatoid arthritis definitely complicates it. It complicates it because of what the public can see, but also your self-perception.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you had found some really interesting studies, one of them on psoriatic arthritis, because there are, I do want to, you know, make sure we touch on that, that the skin, the skin changes with psoriatic, right. Can be very visible and and difficult to cope with.
1: Right. Psoriasis is very, very visible, like you said, and it can be very mentally aggressive. That's what we actually call it in healthcare. We say it really, it's very bothersome, especially for young, especially young, young females, but young anybody. Um, And it's also, it can be in spots that's really hard to cover like the elbows and the knees you know, like where I live is very hot. The thought of covering knees and elbows all year round is, is almost impossible. So that can be really hard.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It just started getting warm in the Seattle area. We're recording this on like June 24th, but, um, but yeah, I was thinking that it's so much easier to kind of cover yourself up in, um, in, in, in the colder months, you know, and I think it's a balancing act for, for many people, you know, figuring out, do I want to say, you know, I own this. I'm proud. Like when I wear compression gloves, that's not the same as my body being different in terms of my actual skin or my joints, but it's saying, you know, I didn't even realize how many patients had felt ashamed or embarrassed to wear a compression glove. um, until I started just, I was doing videos about other things, like here's a toothpaste opener and here's, you know, a jar opener. And I had just happened to be wearing the gloves. And I was like, what are those gloves? Or, oh, are those, those, you know, arthritis gloves that kind of help you with maybe pain. And, and they're like, oh, I, my doctor said to get one, but I was kind of like, I didn't want to look like, I didn't want to look different. Right.
1: Right. Well, I don't know if you watch America's Got Talent. Do you watch that show? So Simon Cowell is wearing a wrist brace this year.
0: Oh, I didn't, I'm not caught up on yeah. this year. Okay. Yeah. So
1: Simon Cowell, the, the big man on the show is actually wearing a, a device on his wrist. I don't know why. And I, I haven't looked into it, but um, I just think it's, it's becoming more acceptable for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of patients go through kind of a, it's, it's like a cycle of grief, right. With your diagnosis, it's a chronic long-term thing. And you might initially, like I was get really Optimistic, Like, oh, there's these medicines that are going to help. And then they did help me a lot initially. And then I got really optimistic and kind of didn't process the disease any further. And then I went through a stage of like, it was almost like a denial in, in a way, but also like an ignorance is bliss. And then I went through a stage of like grieving again when I had a really bad flare up. So it's like, we're kind of going up and down, but the same stages can, you can go through in terms of body image, where maybe I'm just thinking of this on the fly, but you know, where at first you're like, I need to hide it. I'm ashamed or I don't want, I, I know at work, especially a lot of people in like my room to thrive support group have said that I don't want others to know that I have this cuz if they if they're they're in that gray area where they it's affecting their daily life the rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis is affecting their daily life but it's not so severe that they need formal work accommodations but they kind of on the right. on the sly are like oh I'm going to bring an ice pack or I'm going to you know and I'm I'm afraid others will see me as less than you know and then over time I've seen people go go from that fear uh, to saying, you know what, no, this is part of me. I'm not less than anyone else because I have this condition. I'm going to wear it, you know, with pride and there's like, oh, it's disability pride month, isn't it? Or July is disability pride month. So we can have pride in, in having health dif- differences and health challenges. So little, little ramble, but yeah, <laughs> but in, in general, what are some of the other, uh, research you found around, you know, body image and mental health.
1: So there are many, many studies that show that rheumatoid arthritis and body image with rheumatoid arthritis can be strongly related to having depression and even anxiety. Um, and then we've actually talked about this before, but sometimes managing an autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis can involve a specific diet and we have seen firsthand and read many studies that have shown that those diets can often lead to disordered eating. So now now granted there are a lot, there's a big variation in extremes of disordered eating, right, but I think all of us with RA can relate somehow to having some sort of disordered eating at some point, because there is so much weight on what to eat, what to avoid, you know, combining different diets, tracking what works for you. There's a lot of pressure around that.
0: So, yeah, Yeah, I, I um, remember learn when I learned about eating disorders, a little light bulb moment for me was when they said my, my professors at occupational therapy school said, it's not necessarily about body image. It's about control. And as a control freak myself, I was like, okay, I can see that because when (laughs) I it's interesting. I actually talked to my, um, gastroenterologist and, and my naturopath about this related to my SIBO, which is small intestine bacteria overgrowth. They said, you know, what happens is it's like your brain knows that something that you're eating is triggering this discomfort. And it, and then you start reducing what you're eating because you don't want to feel the discomfort because you're ha- having it every time you eat. And like, that's kind of how, what I experienced is that I was re- restricting my diet because I felt bad every time I ate, you know, it's kind of like Pavlovian response. Like if you eat and then you feel terrible, your brain's going to be like, don't keep eating, even though like, I would always say my brain is hungry, but my stomach isn't like my stomach is like, don't put anything more in there. So, so anyway, but back to the, um, autoimmune and arthritis standpoint, it's like, there's so few things we know we can control, right? Like I can't necessarily control on the cellular level. Now this is debatable, but you know, whether you know, one of my T cells is going to decide to attack, you know, my, my synovial lining of my joints, but, oh, you know, the food is so enticing because you're like, That's something I control. I can choose to some degree. Now there's a lot of privilege in the kind of clean eating right. thing where it's like, oh, I have to like go to, you know, spend hundreds of dollars, but, um, but it's, it's very, it's, it's a dangerous trap to get yourself in where you're, Hinging all your future happiness on if I just do X or if I just Y, then I'll be happy or then um, most people it's like they call it the hedonic treadmill have you heard of that (laughs) yeah 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 it's like okay if I just once I graduate high school I'll be happy because I get to go to college okay once I graduate college I'll be happy because I get my first job okay once I get my first job I'll be happy because I can save up enough money for a down payment on an apartment okay once I get the apartment I'll be happy Uh, when I get married, once I get married, I'm going to be happy when I have, it's like your whole life, you're delaying happiness, you know? So, um,
1: So so with that related to body image, I think a lot of people with RA think, well, once I manage my RA, I'll feel confident in myself or once I get off steroids, right? How often do we hear that? Once I don't need this prednisone, I'll feel more confident in my own skin, but it's that hedonic treadmill. Like you said, we just keep looking to the future or looking forward. But there's also that reverse hedonic treadmill, right? Where we think, oh, if I was just in college again, if I was just 20 again, if I was just a teenager again, I would feel confident if only I could have that body back. But that's not true either, right? It it wouldn't be that we're 100% happy if we were back in time or forward in time,
0: That's right? Thank you for connecting that so beautifully. Yeah, it's so true. That's where the mindset, you know, mindset work and, and mental health, whatever you want to call it, you know, learning how to examine our thoughts and, and detach ourselves from, to some degree from our thoughts. This is part of like acceptance of commitment therapy and like cognitive behavior therapy to a certain extent, which is just recognizing these are just like, my thoughts are kind of like clouds passing through the sky, right? They're not, they're not necessarily real. They're not true. Or maybe they're true, but Do you have to let them rule your life? Like these thoughts saying, oh, my life would be better if this, my life would be better if that, or I would only be happy if, if this, you know, and I think that's definitely true with body image, you know, oh, once I, I think a lot of people, they hinge their happiness on, if I get down to X pounds, if I get down to Y pounds, then I'll be happy. Um, It's kind of like, I feel like delaying your happiness like that is kind of like whack-a-mole that game where it's like, Mm -hmm. once you hit one mole, then it comes up. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would love to dig into your personal story as well. Like how, you know, we've talked kind of generally with the clients we've worked with or patients we've worked with, and also just being part of the autoimmune arthritis communities. You know, we've talked to lots of people about this issue, but what about, um, your own, you, you alluded earlier to your own personal journey with, um, body image and how rheumatoid arthritis has affected that.
1: Yeah, I would love to share. So you said that, uh, you went through stages where you would go many big emotions, but one you said would be, you stayed in an ignorance is bliss stage. And I, I begged To be in that stage for so many years now, and I could never get myself there, and I wish I could (laughs) just for for a minute, you
0: know. Maybe you know too much. See, because I I, was I wasn't uh, in healthcare when I got diagnosed. I was I was uh, I was a junior and undergraduate. So yeah, you maybe you you know too much. (laughs) I never got there. (laughs) Sorry, I'm sorry, but girl, I wanted to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Understandable. So
1: my diagnosis came right after the birth of my first son. So backing up a little bit, I'm, I'm not a small woman. I'm not considered thin. You know, it's hard to tell online all the time, but um, I've kind of always struggled with my weight. It's just been something in my life. Um, I grew up on the East coast where eating is what you do. Eating is part of socializing. We always had chicken wings, chips dip. It was part of our family, right? I grew up on Kool-Aid and Pepsi, right? I'm sure all of us did in the nineties, but um, you know, it was just part of life. So weight for me has always been something I had to keep track of and pay attention to. So then when I got pregnant for the first time, um, I really struggled with my weight through my first pregnancy. Um, I was still able to stay active, but um, I, as everybody does with their first pregnancy, I overate and indulged in too many things. And um, you know, I kind of played the lazy card sometimes, So after I'd had my son, I was up a significant amount of weight. And, um, right after that, like within days of having him, I started to have these flares. So with that being said, I was up a significant amount of weight. I had just had a baby, you know, you're, you have all these changes, your belly, your breasts, your, you know, your legs are all swollen still from giving birth. And then I was given this diagnosis, started on these meds. You have all these side effects your weight can fluctuate with the meds. Um, It was a very long road for me right after diagnosis, because I felt like, and not that I didn't do it to myself, right. I'm not placing any blame on anybody but me, but I had like this baby weight and this, you know, this mom body. And then it got sick right after. So my journey was really hard because I had to really make some hard choices, change my lifestyle, um, lose weight, you know, just figure everything out all over again. And it probably took me a good two, even three years to really figure it out. And by that time I was pregnant again. Oh, so wow. my children are three years apart. It was, it was planned. We wanted them two to three years apart, but, um, the second time I did way better.
0: <laughs> I, I was... just, yeah, I'm, I cannot imagine. Cause I think what was so hard for me, I had already had rheumatoid for 10 years when I got pregnant and I had a great pregnancy, even then a terrible postpartum, but I think what was hard was everything about raising a baby and a toddler is a moving target, right? I would tell my husband, the minute that I figured out the seven-month-old, okay, got this routine down, he's eight months old, totally new thing, you know, <laughs> figured out eight months old, now they're nine months old, you know, and I found that independent of chronic illness, just really hard to, to adjust to. And so, in your case, it's like your life has been rocked by first of all, having a baby, which is a huge change in one's life. And then having this diagnosis and not even knowing, like, I wonder um, one of the questions I find really hard to answer is what should my baseline be, right? Like, our goal in healthcare is like, or at least in re- I'm, you know, as a rehabilitation professional, it's like what we try someone has, they're, they're, they're inhabiting X body, they have Y you know, thing happened They get in a car accident. Okay. This, your baseline pre-accident was X. We're going to get you back there. That's the goal. You know, real, then we say, is it realistic? Maybe we have to adjust our goal, but with, with having a baby period, and then having a, a an illness like chronic or like rheumatoid arthritis, it's very hard to know what should your baseline be, right? What should I, I couldn't agree baseline more be eight months <laughs> postpartum or two years postpartum. You don't know. Cause you haven't been there before. Right. <laughs> Sorry. So, right. I'm just empathizing. Cause that's a lot. And then by the time you figure it out, then you're pregnant again. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. It was so.
1: hard for me to, it, it, that's exactly, it It was hard for me to figure out my baseline, but then you have all these people around you who in my life, they were of only kindness and love, but I had all these people around me that had this baseline expectation of me too, that would vary from what I thought my baseline should be you know, I had a lot of knowledge, almost unfortunately, right. I had a lot of knowledge about RA going into it. So I had these expectations and I knew what, you know, my thumb would come back as, and my wrist would come back as, and I knew the like optimal outcome of treatment, but you know, my children's grandparents didn't really know. My husband didn't really know. And so they had these different expectations. And um, I think that's really hard too, because you don't know your baseline. And then the other people around you don't know your baseline. <laughs> and then it changes anyway, right? All right. You can wake up today and run 10 miles and you wake up tomorrow and not be able to walk.
0: Completely. I just <laughs> had this conversation, you know, with my doctor, cause it's been 19 years now. And so I'm like, you know, the further you get away from your age at diagnosis, the harder it is, right? Because if you're, I got diagnosed at 20, right before I turned 21. Um, and it's like, okay, well at that point, okay, yeah, let's, we're going to get you back to your baseline of like six months ago or two years ago before you started feeling really crappy all the time but it's like but now i don't again i don't have that baseline yeah. and i what is normal what does a normal 40 year old feel like i mean i don't know what life is like without rheumatoid arthritis you know the the closest i got was the um you know unmedicated remission during pregnancy for me because at the time, 2013, 14, they were saying, you know, recommending to get off the biologic if you were having a good pregnancy. So I stayed on my biologic for like five months just to kind of, uh, that was kind of the recommendation four or five months. And then it was like pretty clear. I was having a good pregnancy. Like I wasn't having a flare up. So they're like, take, take you off the medicine, then go back on postpartum. Um, so, but that, and I felt amazing. Like I felt, am- but I didn't know how much of that is also just pregnancy. Right. Like right. a lot of people feel bad during pregnancy, but, um, you know, my in in my case, the the rheumatoid arthritis went into remission, and so I was dancing. I would literally swing dancing, teaching beginner swing classes at seven months pregnant. I wish I'd taken more videos at that time. It's hard to imagine yeah. the world was, you know, even just phone storage for video was much less back then. So right, I just have weird to think like that was only eight years ago. But but anyway, point being, um, so yeah, that's the closest. Because so I remember thinking to my husband like. And like, I don't feel exhausted at 7 PM. Like I'm used to feeling exhausted every single day. I didn't realize that that was, I didn't know that that was possible for me. I thought that was just my body, but it's like, Oh, that's maybe the rheumatoid arthritis, you know? So anyway, so it's hard to know. And then you have your other son. So, sorry. So then you're, so then you're struggling to figure out your, your quote unquote baseline or your normal. Um, Yeah. yeah, but you said the second pregnancy went better. So do you mean in terms of like emotionally.
1: So I think the second pregnancy went the same, but I was emotionally prepared for it, mm. but you know, everybody, after you have a baby, you want to, there's always this, this stigma of getting back in your jeans, right? Get back in your jeans. And I remember after I had my first son, not only did they not fit, but I couldn't button them and I still can barely button pants. I So I think that there was this huge shift in my life to just find different ways to be beautiful and it was very very hard to come it, I mean it's taken me years to figure out like what I can wear and what I can't wear and what I feel good in and what I don't feel good in and you know I, I even oh, still remember God. sorry that's just my dogs <laughs> I that's even okay. still remember <laughs> I even still remember having um the little baby trying to breastfeed and getting that little hook off of the nursing bra. And I remember thinking, I can't do this. Like I, I cannot hook and unhook this bra. And so I had to find different things to wear. Thankfully there's a lot of options now, as you know, way better than me, but um, I started really thinking, yeah, I can't wear this. And I, this is just not, this is not going to be in my future. So I had to find new things to wear and to put on my body new even down to like makeup brushes after I had my first son I had to change my whole routine because I couldn't even just get ready for the day let alone be sexy right who doesn't want to be sexy after they have a baby
0: right right. you know well maybe not immediately right (laughs) right (laughs) sorry (laughs) no but it was yeah eventually yeah you want to make if you want to make another baby yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. My journey was, was pretty rough after that first baby, the pants thing. And then um, I love, um, I love the beach. I love the ocean. I love snorkeling. I love that. And so finding a swimsuit was hard because who wants to be in a bikini or a bathing suit at all after having a baby number one, and then all of the ties and snaps and zippers and the one piece situation. (laughs) I just Like it was very hard to find something after having a baby and having joint limitations that worked and still looked good. So luckily I've had like eight years to figure it out now. So I have a lot of great tips, but (laughs) it took me probably the whole eight years.
0: No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, ongoing journey, you know, and it's, it's funny because, um, like the only thing I would, I would say with regards to my own kind of body image. Um, I guess journey is I, I was very lucky in middle school and high school. I, um, I feel like the, the, I went to a very really highly rated public school in Washington state, Mercer Island high school, Mercer Island or Islander middle school, but they did, I remember specific exercises that they, the counselor did with like groups of girls. And we went through magazines and we cut out the image and talked about like things that are that our airbrush. You know, This is in the early nineties. So, so people weren't as kind of, they mm-hmm. didn't, understand at the same level they do now because now you can kids are they're experimenting with the filters themselves and realizing oh I can make myself look totally different but back then we didn't know how no. many of it were it was when you had film cameras and so and they um I went through this um just really great social emotional upbringing and of course my parents I always joke that I like I mean not joke I always brag in this in a way or say that I was just very lucky like to have a like grow up in essentially like what felt like Mr. Rogers neighborhood, you know, I had amazing parents, amazing grandparents, like great schools, like, and, 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 you know, so I, I worked, I felt like I worked really hard to like disentangle my worth from my body, but at the same time, like my friend group, I don't think any of them are listening from, I'm still close to my high school friends, but I don't know. They're always like, good job. I don't think they listen to podcasts, but they're like, literally just beautiful. Like Carolyn, one of my best friends, she looks like, she literally looks like, um, Cameron Diaz. Like she has the most beautiful, you know? And so I always felt like I wasn't as pretty as my friends. And I was like, I wish I was more pretty, you know? But, um, it was also like, oh, well, (laughs) I think I have a little bit of the, um, the gene of like, who cares? Like a a a, 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 a ish, shameless gene, but. I did. It was there. Was other things, right? So I'm very pale. I am very thin, and so that is the kind of quote in the norm in our culture is you know there that people are supposed to aspire to be thin, which is totally crap, you know. But um, but I would when I I'm extremely pale, and so I would always get comments when I'm swimming. You're so white. Oh, can I hold my hand up next to you and see how much I've tanned? Because they would want to. And and that sounds silly, but it's like it did. I was like self conscious. and I have. dark, thick hair. So I'd also be self-conscious about having hair. And even when I shave, you can see the little dots like of the hair underneath my skin. Like literally it'll feel totally soft or it'll feel totally. My skin feels totally, there's no hair coming out, but it looks like it's there anyway. So the thing is we all have something, right? So it's, it's again, that if you, if you think to yourself, Oh, if I just, you know, had Cheryl's frame I would be happier. No, because then I'm worried about being so pale or, you know, it's like everyone's, you know, the grass is, is greener thing. But, um, but, you know, I, I think I actually got, you know, the doctors when I was first um, misdiagnosed thought that I was hiding an eating disorder. And I remember feeling so offended by that because I said, I had worked so hard to not have body image issues. And again, now I understand that body, that eating disorders are as much about control as they are about like a desire for control and kind of an OCD type mindset versus just being about body image. Um, but I was like, no, you don't understand. Like I would rather be obese right now and not feel the way I feel. Like I just, I'm jealous of anyone who just can walk through the world right now not feeling the amount of pain um, I'm feeling, you know, and not in this sense of desperation of like, no one believes me. You know, it's like a, the mm-hmm. example I always use is it's like your house is on fire and you call the fireman and they're like, it's fine. <laughs> That's what it's like being undiagnosed with a chronic illness and going to the doctor and they're like, you're fine. So who do you go to? Yeah. Right.
1: I think what's important to remember about body image is that whether you're overweight or struggle with weight like me or normal weight, or even underweight, as maybe you have been at periods in your life, neither one of us is perfect. And neither one of us is completely happy when we're at a normal weight or completely happy when we're not. And happiness is not related to a
0: If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up, I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called room to thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through. People who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash Thrive Room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Certain
1: image of our body.
0: Yeah. I remember one time when Dr. Phil was really
1: big. Do you remember that talk show?
0: I loved him at the time. I know he's problematic, problematic. But at the time when he first became popular, I was like huge fan.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I remember I was a young female watching and he did this episode on body image and they went around the audience and this was before COVID. So they were packed like sardines and they pulled, you know, like 10 women that were normal weight, right? Like quote normal, I'm doing air quotes. And they put the mic up to them back when we had the big goofy mics. And, you know, Dr. Phil would say, you're a normal weight. Are you happy? And he would hand the microphone to the, the random audience member. And she would say, no, like, I, I have problems. I might be 120 pounds, but I have problems. And most of the women were gorgeous, right? They were beautiful. You know, they were casted from wherever I'm sure they were planted. But um, I just remember thinking like, wow, I, I guess that, that that perfect body image, you know, to look like, Heidi Klum, or whoever, you know, they still have problems too. And it, you forget that. And they still have diseases and they still have, you know, beautiful people still get cancer. And I am beautiful and I have RA. And that's that. Right. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Hold on one second. My cat's making some background noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've talked a lot about one of my favorite books, which is the happiness trap by Dr. Russ Harris. And so I'm going to link to it once again, um, in the, in the show notes, um, he's doing an updated version of it this summer actually, but, um, it really talks about how just the happiness trap is really this idea that you should be happy all the time, you know, because that's not never been the human condition. Um, in, right. but at the same time this paradox of if you un if you unhinge your expect yourself from your expectations of what should make you happy and shouldn't you actually will be happy but you can't get there by trying to be happy you know what i'm right. saying like and so anyway so you know what let's let it, let's if you're okay with it let's jump ahead to the the strategies that you found helpful like you were just mentioning you know saying i mean thinking of those examples, like the Dr. Phil one, where, you know, recognizing the common humanity we have and the fact that no one is, no one has a perfect, even the people who have what you think is the perfect body, their body image isn't perfect. And so that your worth is so much bigger than what you look like. You know, what are some of the other, what other pieces of advice or nuggets of wisdom would you share with people who are struggling with this right now? So
1: when I was first diagnosed and I had all of these struggles. I was a victim to the happiness trap. And I kept saying, I should be happy. I should be able to make myself happy. And I put all of this weight and pressure on myself to manage my emotions, to create happiness. And looking back, I, there is a lot of power in our mind and a lot of power in our thoughts. However, just buy the stuff you need. That's, that's my advice. If you can buy a better swimsuit that you can put on and feel gorgeous in, you should spend the $150, $200 and keep it forever, right? If you need stronger sunscreen or different sunscreen, because the cheap stuff at Walmart, Target, wherever, you know, gives you pimples or makes you oily, or you don't feel sexy in it, buy the high-end sunscreen. And I know a lot of people are probably saying, well, I don't have the resources, or, you know, there are limitations, but I really think once you prioritize those things that you will naturally find happiness because you will have so much more space in your brain to worry about what matters. And I I used to fight, I used to buy jeans, right? I wanted low rise jeans so bad postpartum and I would buy them and I would fight with them and struggle with them. And I remember we would go out for the evening and I would tell my husband, I I can't use the bathroom because I can't get my pants on or off. So we have to go this entire evening and I, I can't drink. I don't want to eat because I can't. I can't pull down my pants use the bathroom. And looking back that was just so silly. I should have just bought different clothes. And I'm definitely not saying go drop thousands of dollars and you know, you know, spend money like it doesn't matter, but if there's something that you can buy, like you're always promoting, right? If there's a product you can buy that'll open that that jar that is infuriating you, I feel the same about body image. If there is a a swimsuit that's adaptable, a sunscreen that's better for you, a pair of pants that works I really think you should just bite the bullet and buy it. And I think you will have emotional strength grow in leaps and bounds from doing that for yourself.
0: Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more Of because I'm always promoting that, that like you mentioned, you know, and I think if we peel back the layer, um, like of what I've seen, I'm not saying this was in your case, but let's say There's a lot of adaptive clothing out there right now. There's, I adjust, I'm trying out a pair of shorts that look, they're jeans shorts, but they have a Velcro closure instead of buttons or zipper and that the Velcro tends to be a lot easier. Now it's not, not everyone with our rheumatoid arthritis can do Velcro. It still requires some thumb and finger strength, but um, it's easier for me. I also have a bra that has a magnetic closure. Those are actually super easy to get on and off. Um, And So a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to use something different. I don't want to use something different. I want to do what everyone else does. Now, I know this is particularly true of, of children. Like I used to work as a pediatric therapist. And for example, I'd have a child that maybe really benefited from using a pencil grip on their pencil, which is like a rubber built, you know, fatter thing that helps them with their grip and their grasp. And they're like, I don't want to look different than their kids, and that, I I want to respect that that's how a lot yeah. of people feel. But um, I really encourage people to kind of think about it in the framework of ableism because ableism it's like you know racism is saying that you know. Um, that discriminating on people based on their race you know ethnicity and saying that they're worse than or less than because of some people are worse or less than right because of their race it's an ableism is the same thing but with disabilities or with health conditions is saying that some people with it, people with disabilities and health conditions are less than people who are you know totally healthy or able-bodied and it's discrimination against people who have those conditions and Internalized ableism is when we, as dis- disabled people or people with disabilities or, or health challenges, say, you know, we discriminate against ourselves, which is so such a complex phenomenon. But we say, I should be able to just push through. I should be right. able to just do the. I should be able to
1: button job. those pants. Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't want to have. I don't want to give in or give up. But it's like, okay, well, like. You have you can choose to suffer and put yourself through difficulty, or you can choose to say like, "F those expectations," or "F that." Like, I don't like normal is overrated. Okay, <laughs> there is no normal anyway. But you know, it really is going to help you to kind of say like, "Why?" There's this there's this um, technique called the five whys. Like, and it's used in to- so many different settings. But in this case, it'd be like, so why why is a set of jeans with a zipper and a button better than jeans with a velcro oh it's because what everyone else uses okay well why is something better because everyone else uses it well because what like why you know like ask yourself what like you know and then again I feel like I'm coming from a position of like already having no shame to begin with so it is easier for me to be like I don't care I'm gonna wear the glove I'm gonna wear the velcro bra um but I really, I really think that that can go a long way when you kind of look at, at, look at body image and look at your um, self-worth from a perspective of ableism, because it makes you, it leads you usually to the path of saying, you know, I, no one's life is less worthy, you know, because they have a disability. It might be harder. It might be, you know, I'm not going to say it's like equally easy to have a disability versus not some things in your life are going to be harder, but your worth is your innate human worth is there because you are a person, you know?
1: I think a lot of the struggle with body image is that we want to go from having no self-confidence to what you're saying and having this big worth and having value and loving our body and feeling comfortable in our skin. But I think it's really important to find a middle ground sometimes, especially in the process. Uh, For example, after I had my son, I had this baby weight, I had a post, you know, a post baby body, I had a new diagnosis of RA, and I wanted to just be a swimsuit model again. And it was impossible. So I had to step back and go from having what I just described to simply having a body. And I had to just find this neutral place of contentment of having a body that works, that has lungs and a heart and a digestive system, and I have a body. And then slowly from there, I could go to, I love my body and I care about my body and my body serves me and I am happy where I am and I'm happy in my own body. But I think a lot of times we go from this, like, I hate my body to wanting to be like in love with ourselves and, you know, be so comfortable in our skin all the time. And that's such a big jump. So like you're saying, a lot of ableism, a a lot of able-bodied people can really do that because their body looks and feels exactly the same as it did yesterday, right? But that's not the case for us. So that's my other big recommendation is to find that neutral spot in the middle of contentment and just kindness to yourself and forgiveness, right? It's okay that I ate way too many nachos while I was pregnant. I forgive myself. I'm going to move on you know, and and just finding a place of contentment and self kindness before.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that idea of a neutral ground. So not trying to go between, I hate my body. And then two hours later, I love my body. (laughs) It's not realistic. Like, unless you have an total epiphany, which hope, you know, let's shoot for the stars, but most people it's going to be a stair step process. And I love that idea of what if you can just be body neutral being like, right. Like, I don't, yeah. I think that is kind of where I've been a lot of times. It's been kind of like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, it's not like, I love my body. It's perfect. Just the way it is. It's more like, eh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, can like you get works. to it? You know, it's kind of like my, um, uh, my ex-boyfriend said at one point, this isn't like regarding me, but he said, he just said, in, it, it, it stuck in my head. Like the opposite of love isn't hate. It's ambivalence. And so, cause hate, love and hate are both strong emotions towards someone. It's about, you care about that person, right. you care about what they think, what they do. Ambivalence is actually kind of like to really, um, they always say like with a, this is totally a side note, but like to piss off a narcissist or is to like be just ambivalent because if you hate right. them, that's what they want. They want control over you, you know? So I'm saying like, what if you're just ambivalent about your body? What if you're like, it's just a body, like it has stuff. It has it ha- mm-hmm. My body has like little dark hairs that come out of my super pasty, like, whatever, like, okay, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> or like, well- yeah, I have deformities on my feet and I I know I, I occasionally look at my feet and I'm like, disgusted, like, ugh. like, you know, just like a, like a knee jerk reaction. And that's from live, you know, living in a world where you're supposed to look like a foot model and like you're supposed to, you know, and then I'm just like, okay, I I don't, I can't control that initial reaction. That's just like an emotion that just flutters up, but I can just be like, yeah, they're just, they're they're my feet, you know, that's what they are. And, you know, and then I move on to, you know, again, I have some, I, especially being in middle age now, you know, being 40, it's kind of, it is like this kind of, midlife thing where you're like okay I might have 40 years left if I'm very lucky 50 years if I'm extremely lucky do I want to spend the next 50 years worrying about that I have toe deformities right I can you know that's a choice and that I could make but I could also choose to be like what else is going on in my life like what could I be focused on right now it's again easier said than done believe me (laughs) as somebody who has a phobia where like this all makes sense to me with about body image. But when it comes to like my phobia, my claustrophobia, it's much harder, right? Like, do you want to spend the rest of your life phobic about small spaces and flying? No, I don't want to spend the rest of my life phobic. But when I get in that situation, even after exposure therapy, it's still very hard for me to cope with those thoughts and, and, and persevere. You know, I, I recently flew for the first time in the, you know, in a long time and It was hard not to run off that plane. So I'm saying I want to empathize. It's easier for me to say about something that hasn't bothered me as much. So,
1: well, on that note, you can remember that rheumatoid arthritis will do nothing optimistic or positive to your body. We can all scientifically agree on that, right? There's no good outcome, there's only remission. But the best outcome that can come is your thoughts and being able to manage your thoughts and manage your emotions, especially about your body. So although RA does change lives, it doesn't have to change you and it's really important. So that goes back to your fear of flying and planes and claustrophobia where, you know, that fear, there's only one outcome that can come of that and it's fear and it's in you. And no matter how much you desensitize or make efforts, it may never go away, but what you can change the positive outcome that you can produce all on your own is your thoughts and your actions that you take surrounding that.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the way my therapist focused on it in terms of the phobia was, I is to let go of trying to control my thoughts, but definitely controlling mm-hmm. my actions. To say like I could literally because it's it's not I'm not afraid of the plane crashing. It's actually the worst when the plane's on the ground because we're not moving. Once we're moving, I don't feel as claustrophobic for whatever reason. But um, but like and it's that of a dentist. Anytime I can't get out of a situation, it's like I feel like I can't leave mm-hmm. if I wanted to. So, you know, being in an elevator, being in, and, and um, so I, I, uh, he's kind of said like, you know, look, you could say, I'm never going to go to the dentist again. I'm never going to go to the elevator again. You could do that. And your right. life would just get small, right. Mm-hmm. It would get smaller. And that's the consequence. So you can choose to say like, this sucks. I don't like this. And I'm going, and I will say just FYI for people listening I still struggle, but it's way better than it used to be. It's just, it's not like I'm, I'm totally at one with the universe and happy and peaceful if I get into right. an MRI machine, but I am, I used to have to be medicated with, you know, um, Ben, a benzodiazep whatever it's called, benzo drug, um, very rarely just in these situations, but I, I could not physically get myself to get into these situations, the claustrophobia ones without doing that. And now I'm able to numerous times not and, and definitely escalate But, um, but yeah, I had to, to let go of that sense of control. And that's again, everything goes back to control, but anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you can control how you feel about your body. You may it, not be able to control its response.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely, you can definitely, yeah. Alter some of those maladaptive thought patterns that are just you know, and you don't want to get too much. I know Dr. Harris talks about the struggle switch, which is like struggling with life at the present moment and kind of arguing with yourself, which is where CBT sometimes goes haywire. Cause then you're like, is this a distortion? Is this wrong? Is this right to say this? But in, in, in moderation, it can be helpful. Like I've said stuff to myself, like, you know, is my, would my life be so much better if X happened? Like, let's look at that logically for a second. What's the evidence of that? Let's look at you know, so-and-so who has that situation, you know, so-and-so is in remission from rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. Well, yeah, certain problems in their life have been eliminated, right? The whack-a-mole, you know, Mm -hmm. has been whacked, but then no one, again, their life, they might have other challenges, you know? So yeah, it's very, again, dangerous to kind of say that if, if X, then everything would be, you know, better, you know? Right. Yeah. Is there anything else um, you wanted to touch on when it comes to, you know, advice for people who are just kind of words of wisdom? I mean, we've covered so much, but when it comes to, um, to body image and, you know, inflammatory arthritis or rheumatic diseases like RA. Yeah. I never know how to talk about them. There's like 19 different ways to refer like <laughs> autoimmune arthritis, rheumatic disease, inflammatory arthritis. <laughs> yeah. So many rheumatoid disease.
1: I think it's very important to remember that life is really what you make of it. And you can tell your own story and you can write your own guidebook and you can make your own rules. There's no reason to follow rules that were written by somebody else or for somebody else. So I think what you share with the world is your choice. And a lot of that can apply to having RA. So whether you love your body or neutral with your body or struggling with your body, the world really only sees what you share with it. So sometimes you have to follow that old quote from Sheryl Sandberg, you know, and just fake it till you make it and lean in.
0: Uh Yeah, that's a good point. And maybe just like in terms of, um, being being confident while wearing a compression glove or wearing a splint or anything else like that to say like what if i just try on the persona for five minutes of somebody who's confident right. doing this um it's kind of like i remember it, it's interesting in psychology it's like we always think that beliefs inform behaviors. Like I feel, ha- I feel confident. Therefore I walk in a confident way and I do these confident things, but it's actually sometimes the opposite that when you, when you mm-hmm. change your behavior and you say, let's just pretend to, that I'm, that I'm, I'm a, i almost said it's happy. That's not, that's not possible, but not really going to work that in that case. I don't think, but pretend that you're confident in, in your body. And um, you might be surprised, you know, that, that you actually start feeling more more confidence. So, and I think, you know, the only other thing I would add to that is like accessing images or stories of others who have maybe been where you're at and how, and, yeah. and cause that's something I didn't think of when I set off to do what I'm doing online, you know, with, with just the, you know, um, videos and stories and all the stuff I share on social media I was initially thinking of it more straightforward, like sharing life hacks, right? <laughs> like sharing life hacks and sprinkling in mental health tips, you know, but hooking everyone in with the life hacks. But what I've realized is that, again, when people see that, oh, Cheryl's not afraid of, of using a jar opener or scene, and uh, she doesn't, you know, care that, you know, that her, I don't know, I do have mild, very, very mild some, you know, deformities are not the the untrained. eye wouldn't see them, but, um, certainly people comment all the time. Oh, I wish I was doing my little like hand dance the other day. Someone's like, Oh, I wish I had your range of motion. And it's like, it's true. It is really good for 19 years into it with a severe, you know, aggressive RA diagnosis in 2003. But, um, but anyway, yeah, no, knowing that, you know, seeing that you're not alone because we all tend to feel alone. I can't tell you every single day ever. I'm saying this to you right now, and every day I'll have this experience on social media or in my regular life. And I'll be like, well, I thought they had it all figured out. You know, I thought that their life was perfect. I'm like, why do I keep doing this? You know, and, um, but I'll see like, oh yeah, they're struggling too. I'm not alone. So it's, it's, it's really, yeah, I
1: agree. Surrounding yourself with people that also have RA, I think is actually really helpful because. There are truly amazing people out there that have RA and they mm-hmm. blow me away and impress me every single day.
0: Really? It's been the silver lining of the pandemic for me has been being able to connect so much deeper with so many people like, you know, you and Allie and like Kristen Brogan, she's not as active on the line anymore, you know, but, um, so many, I don't even want to like name names because it will sound like I'm just picking favorites because it, it, it's just my free recall memory but, you know, Ashley, Nicole doing all her fit food, fitness faith. And it's just been really, really amazing. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can find the social media corners that, that work for you. You know, some people find some of the Facebook groups too negative or, um, you know, and, but you might be in a place where you just want to vent and that works for you. So, so yeah, um, this is so, this is so great. I really, really appreciate you sharing. And I know it's very, it's hard to be vulnerable about these topics, right? About um, body image and, and, um, and so I I appreciate, you know, your honesty. And I just, I want to make sure people know where they can find you online if they want to connect further or find out which, uh, you know, see your, your content and such. Well, thank you so much for your time and vulnerability. I know this can be a really challenging topic to, to talk about. So I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure some in the audience are wondering where they can follow you or fi- uh, online and how uh, Yeah, where can they find you?
1: <laughs> so again, thank you for having me. And you're right. It is very vulnerable to talk about this, but I find it helps so many people to share my story and to share it with you even though we are so different, we're really so the same and finding that is so beautiful. Um, again, I'm Stephanie. I'm the rheumatoid arthritis coach. You can find me at rheumatoid I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as Stephanie, the rheumatoid arthritis coach. Uh, I believe Cheryl's going to link all of my pages and social media. I'm also on Pinterest. Um, I do publish articles quite regularly. And I also have a book coming very soon.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. What? I didn't know that. That's very exciting.
1: It is so exciting. I never thought, but
0: that's, on, that's on my bucket list too. Oh, do you want to say the title? Are you allowed to say the title or is it like stay tuned? Not yet.
1: Okay. okay. Stay <laughs> tuned.
0: Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you again. And, um, I will be T- taking these lessons with me as I get ready for a finally sunny summer here in Seattle. <laughs> I'm sure Girl, I'll give
1: you so much done. I'll give I know, you all yeah, of I it. Know. We've,
0: everyone else has been in a heat wave and we've been like, it's dreary and cold and rainy again. So yeah, thank you so much again. Bye Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. just shoot me an email at info at my I can't wait to hear from you.